Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. But just to set the stage of what we're going to look at today, <clears throat> this, is, this isn't going to be the kind of message where I teach some things to try to bring understanding to an idea in Scripture. This is almost like, here it is, now deal with it. <laughs> Y'all ready for that? And, and it's, it's a particular idea that is challenging and offensive, potentially offensive. I mean, I have offended I don't know how many people by sticking to my guns over this particular type of topic. And it's basically just this. It's that God is who He is. Always. What God wants is always a direct correlation to who He is, and He wants it all the time. He's nothing but good. The condition of the world at this point does not fully reflect what God wants. I'm going to do some pounding today. You know, pray for my hands. And we talk about this kind of stuff all the time, amen, don't we? We talk about, all right, God is good, and His definition of good is the same as ours, if not better. His, his definition of good doesn't also include pain, suffering, and cancer somehow, right? Suffering for persecution, for the word's sake, is different. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about God calling you, you stepping out to proclaim the gospel, and you experience persecution or suffering as a result of that. That's a legitimate suffering. But the stuff that we attribute, we, a broad section of the Christian world that attributes all the other stuff to somehow God's will, that's why I'm standing up here every week, is to try to dismantle that religious toxic mindset and rebuild a healthy perspective that starts with God, God, who He is, who He showed Himself to be in Jesus, and then build from there. Amen? And what we're going to look at today, it really just it goes through that process. I'm going to talk about healing, <clears throat> but that's just one aspect of who God is. He is a healer, but He is also a provider. He is also our wisdom. He is also our judge. He is also our joy, our strength. All of the aspects of who He is, He is those things for us. Amen? So even though we're going to talk about healing, I want you to think about, all right, so the promise of healing, by His stripes we were healed. We talked about that last week, <clears throat> how we have to think through the promises have been given to us for that we would be a partaker of His divine nature. They're paid for in Jesus after the new covenant was cut in the blood of Christ and the ascension <clears throat> and the giving of the Holy Spirit. After that's in place, all His promises are past tense. They're fulfilled, but they are yet to grow into your life. Now, I'm not saying He's waiting to put them in your life, and that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, e even in my personal life, you know, just this week... Um, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but those of you that have pets, you, you, you feel the pain. You know, we had to put a cat down this week just because he got sick. He disappeared. He was gone for about three days. He came back. He was lethargic. And long story short, we took him in, I think, Saturday morning, like 1 o'clock in the morning to the place in Fayetteville, and it was, it was over. Sarah was having to room my wife, if you haven't met her, back there with the kids, just having a really hard time with it. Um, <clears throat> and 
And on top of that, you know, mom, those of you that don't know what's going on with our family, my mom had a bout with cancer, uh, went through treatment, um, went into remission. They're saying cancer-free, tumor gone, no result, nothing. Blood looks great. Two weeks later, a relapse of the tumor. It's a lot smaller than it was, but it's the kind of cancer it is is causing her a lot of pain. So a lot of our week is spent trying to just help her process through this stuff to get to the point where can get some more treatment going, to deal with it, to decrease the pain, to get her back to a good quality of life. She'll be 79, was June 1st, so just in a couple of days. <clears throat> um, but the doctors are saying, you know, praise God for this, the doctors are saying it's the kind of cancer that is, you know, curable, not just treatable. They can get her into remission, and they do fully expect to get her back to a good quality of life, but she's in pain. And I'm looking at her, and I'm trying to help her, and I'm trying to get her out in the yard and exercise, and Mom's probably watching, love you, Mom. And, and it's a process, and my brother's the main caretaker, and he's over there, and it's emotionally taxing, right? Now, that's not what God wants. I can confidently and boldly say God does not want that for her in any way, shape, or form. If Jesus were to bodily manif manifest and stand directly in front of her, I know what would happen. She'd be healed because that's what he wants. It's who he is. Amen? Okay, so one step away from Jesus standing in front of her in bodily form and praying for her himself is where we are. And, and a lot of stuff gets built up and said and taught and expected and split and the body fights over it and all of that, but that's where we're going to talk about today. Ready? So don't be fighting. Let's just talk about it. Amen. Most of us are probably on this same page, but it's, it's kind of one of these areas that I just want to lay it out there as clearly and as bluntly as possible. Maybe you got some things to deal with in this particular area as well as far as what's going on in your heart and looking toward Him. Because we still have the same question rolling around in our heads that the enemy brought to us in the garden all the way back in the beginning, and that is, did God really say? That question has been running rampant and destroying people's faith for thousands of years, hasn't it? Did God really say? By His stripes, you were healed. Now, some people teach that that passage in, in Peter's is just talking about spiritual healing. In other words, Jesus died for you, and by His stripes, you were healed, so therefore you can be saved as if it's a spiritual healing. But last week we looked at David in, in Psalm 103. David prayed. He acknowledged this aspect of who God is. That is, you heal all of our diseases. David, under the Old Covenant, acknowledged that God healed physical diseases, right? So we're not, gonna, we're not going to carnal and whittle away down a physical promise of healing because of what the majority of Christians are experiencing in their personal lives and it makes them feel better. Okay. My mom has cancer in the moment, right? I mean, people that watch this sometimes say, well, I pray that cancer never touches your family because it might change how you preach. Well, it has and it does more boldly because he is who he is. <laughs> He's not going to change. It's up to us. What are we going to do with that, right? Right. Now, this is not a message of how to get more faith or 
what's wrong with your faith or any of that kind of stuff. There are some heart mechanics that we're going to look at. But specifically, I just want to kind of paint this picture. This is who he is. This is what he says. Expect it. Live it. Pray from it. Believe it for yourself and for others. Amen? All right, so we're in this series. We're talking about seeing with the eyes of your heart. Your heart, that inner man, that regenerated aspect of who and what you are, that promise of the new covenant where God's laws are written within it, not the laws of which kind of animal to sacrifice for which kind of sin. Are you with me? Not the old covenant law of atonement and sacrifice, but new covenant law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the law of liberty, being set free from the law of sin and death. And of course, God's moral code, of course, you know, we wouldn't never argue, we've never argued to throw away the Big Ten, but we're not talking about behavioral laws. We're talking about nature, who you are and manifesting God's character, all right? So seeing with the eyes of your heart, when you face this world and you know this, when you face the world, you've got a choice especially if life doesn't seem to match what God says you can have in light of the finished work of Christ. you got a choice. And we can either water it down and say He doesn't do that anymore or it's in His timing that He's not for it right now. All that garbage that we just make up to try to make people feel better. It's like, no, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand and look at exactly what He said. I don't have it working in my life in every single area. I know you don't either. But that doesn't change who God is and what He wants. Amen? Amen. So the eyes of our heart, that's what Paul prayed, that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him so that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would understand the hope of His calling, the inheritance of the riches and glory, all that stuff that we talked about over the past couple of weeks. With me? All right. He gave you His Spirit so that His Spirit would be in you and you would be sealed and protected. Amen? You are a child, forever will be. I suppose you could give that back if you want to, but I really don't think you're going to do that. You're not going to perform your way out of it, certainly. But the eyes of your heart have to make a decision. The eyes of your heart are where you dream. It's where you imagine. It's where you conceive. And it's where when you read some of these passages that you're going to read, when you think about it in terms of who you are and who God is and what the other people's lives, how they're affected by this and the thing. Because I get it. You try to talk to these people and they ask you questions. Well, why did this one get healed and why did that one not get healed? And we come up with some really bad answers and we think that we're trying to help people, but it's not scriptural. So here we go. Today I want to talk about, are you offended at Jesus? You're going to have an opportunity to be offended either at me or Jesus, or maybe you're good with this already, but anyway. So first part we're going to look at is why couldn't Jesus heal some people? We're answering the big question, why is it not working for me? Why is it working for that one? It's not working for me. David prayed that. Why is it that the evil get blessed and all this? You know, I mean, it's the whole Lamentations thing. It's like looking at the carnal world and judging God through somebody else's quality of life. We put Him on trial all the time in the context of a broken world rather than who He's defined Himself to be. All right, so these are some examples. We're going to read a couple of, couple of instances about Jesus going to His hometown from two different books, same story. Ready? Mark 6, 1, we're going to start with. 
Jesus went on from there and came to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who, were, many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these ideas, they asked. What is the wisdom he has been given, and how can he perform such miracles? Isn't this the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us as well? Do you see what's going on here? You may not recognize it right off the bat, but what's happening here is carnal thinking. It's logical thinking. You know, we've, we hear the word carnal and we instantly think evil. Carnal doesn't necessarily mean evil. It just means physical. It means meat. You know, when you get your carne asada with your meat. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, carnal just means physical. When you're thinking carnally, you're limited to your own resources, your own earning potential, your own intellect, your own background, whatever it is that you think that you can or can't do based on you because you've reasoned the situation through your own limitations, that's carnal thinking. We think carnal thinking is, boy, I really want to sin really bad right now. It's that too. But it's, but it's limited thinking according to your own resources, which leads to death. The scientific community is the king of carnal thinking. The material world is all that they observe. They look at what they can see, and only thing, the only thing that can be observed and repeated is what's real and true and verifiable. That is carnal thinking, and it limits to what you can see. Totally rules out God and spirit inspiring, encouraging, and uh, empowering you to live above physicality, right? That's what they're doing, carnal thinking. We do this. All right, remember, talking about healing, but what does it mean for you? There's an aspect of God you're not experiencing that you're believing for. I know it. You know why I know? Because you're human. So what is it for you? Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's peace of mind. Well, I don't know what it is for you. There's an aspect of God you're wanting to experience more. Maybe it's walking in the gifts of the Spirit toward other people. You know? And so what we do is we look at Jesus and we back away from Him with all different types of logic and reasoning based on what we think. And for them it was, hey, we know this guy. There's his brother. There's his sister. There's his mama. You know, did you hear about his mama, you know? I mean, you know, all that stuff, right? All the, all the stuff that gets packed into who we think he is. The, now, it might be different from you. You don't know his brother, but you know the situation that your brother went through in relation to when he tried to believe Jesus. Are you with me? That's what it looks like. We start to rationalize and logic, apply logic based on what somebody else went through or what we went through, and we build circumstantial theology based on the, the, the broken world. And today we are going to have an incredibly high opportunity to be offended or to break that offense and soften our heart toward him and let him be God in us. So let's keep going here. Uh, aren't his sisters here with us as well? And they took offense at him. I'm going to get to what offense means, but let's keep going. Same book, same chapter, verse 4. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is without honor only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own household. So he could not perform any miracles there. 
Interesting language, right? Except to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And he went around from village to village teaching the people. He was amazed at their unbelief. All right, so here's a question. And this is actually debated within scholarly theology. And that is, did Jesus limit himself and choose not to do miracles? Or did they limit his power? In other words, the capacity of their heart, did it limit what he was able to do? Did he choose not to do the miracle? Or did, could they not receive it? Like, believe it or not, you read commentaries and you read, uh, you read about this in different areas of theology. There's a, there's a debate. A lot of people fall on the side that what he said was because they dishonored me and they didn't honor me, that he chose and refused not to do miracles there. I don't want to apply my human logic, but you don't see that anywhere else in the ministry of Jesus, them not believing him. Even me personally, I, when we started this church, we had a home group. There's this guy in there, and this crazy tooth thing going on. I got a word of knowledge, and he didn't answer. And his, the person that brought him had to answer for him and prayed for him. And as I'm praying for him, first off, I said, can I pray for you? I got a word. I think you're, you, there's a high chance you can get healed here. He says, I don't believe in this stuff. Guess what happened? Healed. Healed. Yeah, I prayed for him. He said, I don't believe in this stuff. And he got healed. <laughs> you know, tilt. So I think we all probably fall on the side. No, it wasn't Jesus choosing not to heal because of the lack of honor. It was his power was rendered ineffective in those people's hearts because they could not receive what he had for them. Let's keep going. Matthew 13, 54, <clears throat> same story. Coming to his home, coming to his hometown. He taught the people in their synagogue, and they were astonished. Where did this man get such wisdom and miraculous powers? They asked, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, see, they, they go to the natural. They go to the carnal, the physical. Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us as well? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him because Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own household is a prophet without honor, and he, so this, now this sounds, you know, and he did not do many miracles because of their unbelief. So did he say, you don't believe, not going to heal you? No, their unbelief limited. That is a tent post in our understanding of the character of God. You drive that stake in the ground and it doesn't move. Are you with me? The point being... This offense leads to unbelief. Unbelief limits the power of God from working through their heart. Hang with me. Hang with me. Now, here we go. Offense. What do you mean? What is offense? All right, here's offense. This is what offense means. Scandaliso. That's the Greek word. Go back to the original to look at it. Uh, it means to be a stumbling block to judge unfavorably or unjustly of another, to be displeased or indignant. The, the root word for this word is scandalon, and it's the movable stick or trigger of a trap, which, you know, the rabbit or little animal trap that's the box and the stick that holds the box up, and you got the strings tied to the stick, and when the rabbit goes in there, you pull the stick out. The stick is the trigger. 
The stick is the scandalon. It's the thing that triggers it. And this is, we see this. And some of you experience this and respond this way. And I know that many that I have given these kinds of answers to when they say, well, why didn't this one get healed? And why do some people get healed and some people don't? And you say, well, when Jesus encountered this, he talked about people's unbelief, not his will or God's willingness. And then what happens? All of that is this word that we're very familiar with in this day and age. People get triggered. That's the concept. You get offended. People get triggered. You trigger people when you give them the truth. A trigger is a negative emotional response. When you stand in front of someone who, for whatever reason, is challenging the idea that God wants people 100% healthy, 100% whole, 100% provided for, 100% of the time, no questions. What do you do? Do you get triggered? Because I know a bunch of people that do get triggered. Are you with me? It's like, so then what we do is rather than just saying, okay, I'm feeling this. I'm acknowledging my emotions in this moment. But I'm going to hold to who God really is. You know, like, it, like in God is only health. And whatever he is in is only healed. I'm not saying the people that don't get healed, he's not in them. There's a lot of things because when you talk about this subject, people listen more intently and they pick apart the little things that you're saying. That's why it's important to stick to Scripture. It's important to talk about who He really is and look at the areas. You know, there's only a couple of areas that address why people don't experience the promises that God makes available in Christ. There's only a couple of areas, and they always come down to the same conclusion, and that is the unbelief in the heart of the receiver. If Jesus paid for it, it is not just what God wants. It is legally ours now. Always. I think that's why those people in those hyper charismatic churches do that thing, you know, because that's like God's trying to do something through them. And they, anyway, sorry. Forgive me. They love Jesus too. Here's my question Do you get offended at God's promises? I do sometimes. I get triggered. It's like, oh. All right, so that's when Jesus couldn't heal people. Now let's look at why couldn't the disciples heal some people. Ready? Matthew 17. Again, we're going to look at the same story, two different books. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus and knelt before him. <clears throat> Lord, have mercy on my son. He said he has seizures and is suffering terribly. This is legitimate, okay? This is somebody that's hurting a legitimate disease. He often falls into the fire or into the water. You know, just to kind of bring this home a little bit. This is a man, maybe a farmer, something where he can't watch his kids all day long, but he has a son that has seizures. And he's legitimately afraid that his son might fall into the lake or pond and drown. I mean, you know, this is a real situation that this man is experiencing. And he's approaching Jesus. If you had the opportunity to go to Jesus and ask him, why did my son not get healed? Why did my mother not get healed? you'd get the same answer. Lord, have mercy on my son. He said, he has seizures and is suffering terribly. He often falls into the fire 
into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And here's Jesus' response. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long must I remain with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Continuing on, then Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. Afterward, the disciples came to Jesus privately and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? You ever been there? You ever been to the hospital, prayed for somebody and they died later? I have. It hurts. Absolutely hurts. I mean, you know, I could just make you feel good about yourself or we could really talk about the truth of who God is. Which one do you want to do? Y'all know me. I mean, I'm, you know. All right. <clears throat> Afterward, the disciples came to Jesus privately and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Because of your little faith. Or in another translation, because of your unbelief. He answered, for truly I tell you, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, where does your mind go? Do you get offended? Do you get triggered? Do you say, well, why, but this, but that, but I, but I, but this, but that, but I? Because I know I've been there. My dad passed away of cancer. I have prayed for people with cancer and seen them healed. It's in my family in this moment. Are you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, this is not pie in the sky stuff. This is Jesus. This is the answer He gave us. Why couldn't we do it? Because of your unbelief. That's incredibly offensive. Incredibly offensive. Or you recognize it's who He is. He ain't going to change there's something going on with me. Just like the people in his hometown that reasoned carnally and logically according to who he was, God in the flesh, they were able to back away from him in their mind, come up with reasons why, you know. I'm telling, I know, I know. All right, this is another area where he does it. <clears throat> Same uh, story. Someone in the crowd replied, teacher, I brought you my son. Let me, let me just say this. When he says, because of your little faith, we're not talking about a commodity that you've got to figure out how to get more of. In other words, there's this faith that, got, that you could get more of. You know what I mean? Because when he, when, and I don't have time to go into it, but when he talks about the difference between great faith and little faith, it's, this is, there's one difference, and that is great faith is convinced of who God is. Little faith isn't sure that God is, that, is who He is. Are you with me? I didn't say that as clearly as I could, but great faith is confident and persuaded in God in that specific area. Little faith says, well, did God really say? Or little faith says, but this happened to me. I see that God says this. Yes, I see that the Scripture says that. But this happened to me. The eyes of the heart look to the world and look to the circumstance and look to the emotional impact of that situation to develop a perspective of who God is rather than saying, I get that this happened to me, but that's not who God is. God is this. God is a healer. 
Amen? Now, I, this is not just a message about healing. This is, not, this is a message about every aspect and promise of who God says He could be in our lives if we could trust Him and let it manifest, if we would let ourselves be led into that aspect of experiencing it. Now, I'm not trying to build some you know, black and white perspective. I'm not, I don't really want to bring the timing thing into it, but I'm just talking about the heart of God, who He is, His willingness to be who He is to every person all the time. Okay? Same story. Someone in the crowd replied, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him, in, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at the teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they were unable. You ever been unable? That guy may as well brought him to you. After Jesus had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus answered, this kind come out except by prayer. All right, there's some, there's some exegesis that we need to apply here. When you're looking at stories and they don't seem to say the same things and you're, fine, you're trying to get the full picture, you go and you talk to everybody to understand what's happening and you build the entire picture based on all the witnesses, right? That's just what you do. If you only listen to one person's side of the story, you're not getting the whole picture. So this is what we do. We listen to Matthew and we listen to Mark. Here he says, this kind, kind of what? In context, looking at the picture, when Jesus, what does he attribute not being able to cast it out to? Unbelief. Your unbelief, their unbelief limited them from receiving from me. Your unbelief limited you being able to help them experience it. The issue is unbelief. This kind of unbelief comes out by prayer. There's a whole teaching in the body of Christ that says that the more you pray and the more you fast, you get more power over higher levels of demons. That's, that's made up. That's nowhere in Scripture. He's stripped all principality and power, raised you above everything. His name is above everything, His authority, and He has shared His authority and power with you. Now, if you take the time to fast and pray, might you walk in more power? Yes, because you become more confident and you become more receptive and sensitive to the Spirit of God working through you. You might see, but you can't judge that externally. You've got the same, it's the same Spirit that works all in all, okay? The way to get unbelief out of your heart, if you're having trouble receiving or if you're having trouble ministering, in your heart there's some type of blockage. Or in this dynamic, because Jesus is the one himself who was in bodily form in front of them and they had a hard time receiving from him, there is that dynamic also. There is the dynamic where you are in faith but the other person is not. The other person has doubt and unbelief in their heart and they are limiting what the power of God can do through them. However, I have prayed for people that said, I don't believe in this stuff and got healed. So just go ahead and try. Explain it. It's who God is. That person was able to receive it. Even though in their mind, they didn't think they could, their heart opened in some way. Can I explain it? I can't. Explain to me how a seed does what it does. It just does what it does. We're looking at what Jesus said. I'm not trying to be mean. 
I'm really not trying to avoid your answer, but I'm just saying, God is who He is. I don't want to have to try to explain it. That's not my job. My job is to say, this is what He said. You know what I mean? <clears throat> All right, so here's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with, who is God? That's the big question. I, I Trust me, I understand. I am, I am not a contentious person. I am not somebody that's going to stand in front of you and say, bless God, you better have faith, and if you don't get healed, it's, not, it's your fault. Y'all know me. But I fiercely believe that who God is, is good. You put God under a microscope, there is no darkness. There is no disease. There is no sickness. There is no ill intention toward mankind. There is no confusion. He is pure and holy and wholly desiring for people to experience His quality of life and His nature. That's how He created it in the beginning. Then you have people say, okay, well, if God is all-powerful and all-knowing and He knows what's going to happen, then He's somehow choosing if that person gets healed or not, if that person gets the job or not, if that person receives wisdom or not, if that person can have a baby or not, if that person whatever. Are you with me? I mean, you know, we can, we're, we're taking out the razor blade and we're cutting out all the junk and we're leaving just the meat. We're leaving just the reality of who God is. And He is that all the time. Typically, there's two options that people would say. God is all-powerful. He's sovereign. He's all-knowing. So therefore... He is either choosing not to do anything about this or he's using it and wanting it in their life for some reason. Those are usually the two conclusions. Those are the accusations that get thrown against God. But there's a third option because people in their minds think, well, if he knows about it, then he must somehow be allowing it. If he's all-powerful and he's in control and he works all things, you know, people then start misquoting half-scriptures when they get to try to answer these types of things and it gets all jumbled up and we've talked about all those passages that people misquote over the past couple of weeks, the usually two conclusions are left with either God could do something about it but He's choosing not to or He wants it in their life for some reason because after all, He's sovereign. He knows. Doesn't He know? Couldn't He do something about it if He wanted to? I think there's a third option because those people would say, before I get to the third option, the two option people would say, uh, that's the definition of his sovereignty. If he's all powerful, then that must mean he's got a hand to play in it. Well, let me ask you this. Is he powerful enough to create a world where humans have autonomous authority over their own lives? Is he powerful enough to create free will agents and give this planet to mankind and stand back and work in this planet through them? Is he powerful enough to be able to separate himself from that and let them reap the fruit of their choices? Is he? If he's powerful enough to control it all, is he also powerful enough to give us control over it? I think so. That leaves us with option three. That is... He gave us this world. He gave us this planet. He gave us dominion over it. 
We're not, you know, you, the condition of your life does not 100% reflect God's will. It will in heaven. It did in the garden. Jesus in the middle showed us what a human 100% yield to God looked like, right? See, again, I'm not trying to button up things. I'm trying to just strip away all the stuff and come down to the very clear, you know, picture of who God is and what He wants because you are called to be an ambassador on this planet for Jesus. You have gifts and you have gifts in you. You have capacities. The grace of God is in you to manifest within you for you to go into this world, tell people God's not holding your sin against you, to compel them to repent because of His kindness, to be reconciled back to God, and along the way, display the power of God. You have to know when you put your hands on someone what God wants for that person. If Jesus paid for it, it's what he wants for them. Now, when it comes to spouse or job or, you know, all that kind of stuff, it's like, well, I don't know about Jesus died to give you a job. He, di- he, he The fact that he died for you brings you into the family if you say yes to him, which means you are in a relationship with a good father who will provide for you if you'll let him. You know, it means that. But as far as the how, the when, the why, and the where... That's up to you to soften your heart toward him and follow him into that. Or your spouse or your friends or your boss, that knuckleheaded boss that you've been trying to pray for. And God wants you just, God, if you would just do this in his heart, I know his life would be all better. I I think God would say, well, why don't you let me do this in your heart? I get it. We're triggered. It happens. I get triggered. You some a lot of times we don't want to be the we don't want to declare these kinds of things to people because we're either afraid we will offend them. It's a it's a difficult situation in our own lives that we've been through and we don't understand it yet, and it's hard to deal with. I understand that. It's in my family right now. But I know who God is. Are you with me? Does that leave you with, I mean, I hope it, it may leave you with questions, but I hope it solidifies some things for you. This is who God is. You know, that, that's a reset point that we live from. We come back to that. When life is confusing, when things don't work out, we reset back to who this is. Who, the eyes of your heart have to stop looking at the world, have to stop being impacted by the situation that's creating emotions within you. The eyes of your heart, the, 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 the place where you imagine and dream inwardly has to look to God and has to be convinced of who he is based on who Jesus revealed him to be. Then you look to the outer world to reason through that stuff. Doubt not in your heart. Don't let doubt be in there. How do you do that? I'm trying to figure that out myself. We're all in the same boat. Amen. But I know who God is and I know what he wants. So I'll leave you with this, just something to think about. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. You know, to me, like we read scripture and it seems to be all splintered up into different doctrines. This to me is the same thing that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the same principle and concept. You're hearing from Christ, you're hear, your mind and your heart's full of Christ. 
produces a transformation. It produces a faith. It produces a confidence. That's what faith is. Faith is not a commodity. Faith is not something that God is guarding that you have to storm the gates of heaven with and wrench out of his hand to give you more of. Faith is standing back and being confident that God is who he is. I mean, how confident are you that my shirt is blue? Now, I know you gearheads are thinking, well, your shirt's not actually blue. It's actually just reflecting, blah, blah, blah. you know, whatever. Forget about that. It's blue. How confident are you in that? You know, you've heard that example. That's the thing. Can we look at God and say, just as clearly as you see this blue, you see him as a healer and nothing can take it away? Except for where you get triggered and where you get offended because of what you've been through in this world or what somebody else has been through that you love in this world. Sometimes I wish I didn't have this job, but, but, I'm, but I don't want to water it down. Are you with me? This is the word to renew your mind with. Also, that, that, he, that, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. See, it's out of your knowledge of Christ, this here, out of the word, hearing the word of Christ, out of your knowledge of Christ, that your spirit and wisdom and revelation, spirit of wisdom and revelation comes. Amen? So your knowledge of Christ, knowing who he is, looking at him in this multifaceted existence, acknowledging him, who he is. He's Lord, but he is your father. He is the one that has cleansed you. He has joined himself to you and hidden himself with you in God. All of these things we have to keep ourselves reminded of, these spiritual realities, the character of who he is. He's going to be that. He stood before Moses, and Moses is like, now, now who should I say sent me again? You know, Moses had seen all these things. We're a bunch of Moseses a lot of times. We need evidence three or four times. But he says, I am that I am. And if you're like me, sometimes you think about that phrase, and you're like, yes, you are. Like, you know, you're confident. <laughs> I am. Yes, I know what that means. I feel it. It's real for That gives me confidence. You are and you will not change. And then other times you hear, I am that I am. And you're like, what kind of Dr. Seuss nonsense is that? You know what I mean? You're like, it's confusing, right? He is who he is. He will be who he is. And he will never change. His heart and his desire toward mankind is fully reflected in Christ. And what Christ did was create a way to be regenerated through God's love for you and the finished work of Christ to experience eternal life within which we will, it will be revealed to us the riches of His glory and His grace forever and ever. I mean, you know, it's like, man... And then we and then and then this world will rob that great and rich promise from us because of the emotions that it evokes within us because of the pain that we've been through. And it's legitimate pain, and I don't minimize the pain. I've been there too. It's hard. I get it. It's hard. But we owe it to God to trust Him, to believe that He is going to be who He is. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your life. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the death of the cross. 
that through your blood, through your life, the exchange that we can experience on that cross, we have right standing before the Father. You've given us your spirit. You've stripped all rule and authority of all its power. You hold all power and authority, Jesus, and you share it with me. You give me your name, which is your authority. We are in you. Just acknowledge the fact that you are in Christ's name. You are in his authority. You are in his kingdom. You belong to him. What he did was for you. He is your Lord. He is your wisdom. He is your elder brother. He's your best friend. He's your life. Jesus. I will not, I will not let this world rob my hope and my faith and my confidence in you. I will start looking you square in the face and acknowledging who you are in spite of how hard that might be because of what I'm going through or what I've been through. I want to live from that place. You know, and I just want you to see that. See that power rising up inside of you. See that spirit rising up inside of you. If you fully believe that God is who he is, what would that look like in your life? It's hard. I know it's hard. And even going forward in the ministry that he's called you into, what does that look like? We trust you, Lord. I don't want to limit you. I don't want the condition of my heart to limit what your power can do through me. So I will focus on who you are. I will trust you. I will learn of Jesus. You and you crucified, Lord, only. Your power, your resurrection life in me. Just take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath for a minute. <clears throat> Jesus, we love you. We trust you. I magnify your name. I let it all go. I get out of my own head and I let it all go and I just reset back to the eyes of my heart looking at you. You're pure and you're holy. You're good. You are love. You know, make, make, make it a practice of doing that, letting the emotion of the world go and resetting back on the reality of who Jesus is. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Amen? Amen. Now, I get it. There are still 99 million questions that arise from a message like that. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is a much better teacher than I am. So go spend some time with him. Amen? Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this heart journey. Visit my website at clintbyers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.